This has nothing to do with anything. Oh, I was but I just got another pet on RuneScape. What'd you get? I got a beaver. I'll show you a beaver. Oh, that's really cool. I I wasn't expecting that because I, I was literally just having something in the background while we were doing our podcast. I'll show you a beaver. That's really funny. I'll show you a beaver. Ha ha. And here's to the beginning. Oh, <laughs> Why, Johnny Ringo. Okay. I know exactly what I'm doing, and I can change it at any time. I'm your Huckleberry. Incoming the Rambling Podcast with your hosts, Conway Titty and Stoney Robbins. Howdy, hey folks, and welcome back to another episode of the Ramblin' Podcast. I'm your host, Conway Titty. And I... <laughs> you were waiting I'm five. That, you were waiting for that, weren't you? I sure was. I just wanted to do that just because it was so much fun. Um, I'm Stoney Robbins. And welcome back. We are on episode 29 uh, we got a really interesting topic for you guys. We hope you enjoyed our really long episode last week. We wanted to give you so give you guys something longer for the first episode back uh, off of our summer break. Summer has started. I hope you guys are enjoying your time. I uh, what I thought of, we whatever words are hard. My God, whenever we think of topics, sometimes we don't do them immediately. Sometimes we'll just think of something we want to talk about and we write it down. Oh um, yeah. Like today's episode, for instance. <laughs> yeah, I have a notes app full of topics that you guys suggest that I come up with, that Sony comes up with. And whenever I plan out our schedule for like, usually when I plan out our podcast schedule, I plan out every episode we're going to do the entire month. So we kind of know what we're going to talk about and we don't like repeat topics, you know. And I go through the list and I think about all of the stuff that we come up with before. And this was been on this has been on our list, I think, for a good while and we've yeah. kind of wanted to do it. We just, you know, we're waiting for the right time to do so. Um, and I guess now is the time. Uh, we wanted to start our new series that we'll be doing throughout, you know, the podcast. Probably, probably an episode a month or maybe two. Probably not. One. It's not going to be, you know, every single time. It probably won't be every single month, you know. But this is a new series we will be doing. Um, it's not going to be reoccurring in the sense of like every week's going to be this. But it is our sexual deviance of history. Um, I thought it was a really great topic. If you do not listen to Kinky History by Esme, she is a wonderful creator. She has a PhD. She is a doctor, has a doctorate and a bunch of a, a lot of a lot of degrees. Let's just put it that way. In particularly sexual history, she is so much fun to listen to. If you haven't heard her podcast, Kinky History, or seen her on TikTok, she's pretty huge on TikTok. Go follow her and check her out. She's awesome. She's very adorable. And she talks about things that a lot of people don't want to talk about or that historians completely leave out and don't talk about. It's things that we were not taught in history class. You know what I mean? And I find it so important that all of the work that she's doing and teaching and speaking about um 
I find it important as well as she makes a good point of like all of these, like his story, his history is very important, obviously. But we always negate anything sexual. We talk about wars and the brutality of how history became to human society today. And a lot of majority leave out the integral parts of a lot of these really important people or um, necessarily just like facts about what was normal in society that maybe not be normal today or something that we think is taboo today was considered normal back then. Um, and that can go along with like anything like fashion or foods, um, even just like what people watched and listened to in a sense of plays or actual movies or like we as a society grow and change so often. Um, but there's nothing. I want to say more funny because or funnier. Cause that's not a word more funny then learning that, that learning that some of these people that are like put so high in society and history as we are taught as kids and grow older and like they're just monumental people turns out that they had the craziest sex lives they had the craziest um fetishes and just way that they went about doing that and it seems like Everyone leaves out that very integral part. And with this series, with our Sexual Deviants of History series, we will be giving you guys a fun little history lesson on certain people and kind of the things that, you know, brought them many pleasures in life. And as a sex-positive podcast, too, uh, it's I think it's fun. I think it's so fun to learn about people that are in such high respects and like you know intellectual culture in a sense you know and just finding out that they were the nastiest people <laughs> in the it, it, behind closed doors in the bedrooms you know what i mean yeah and today's main character is gonna be benjamin franklin old benny frank um you guys are probably like what the guy who did the electricity and is on the hundred dollar bill that i roll up to go skiing with what <laughs> He's crazy. Yes. Benjamin Franklin was a crazy person in the bedroom and had a lot of really fun fetishes. And like I said, this will be a, a little series that we do with a bunch of other quite famous people. Um, and you guys are going to be surprised if you've never, you don't know about this or you've never heard of it. Hi, welcome. We're about to dive right in. Welcome to another research episode, basically where we read, uh, Lots of facts to you guys and tell you information. We basically teach you. So put on your learning caps and sit back. Get ready to dive into the sexual deviance of history. Benjamin Franklin edition. As always, we do have sources. Um, obviously, because it is a research episode, we're not just going to be shitting out our asses here, guys. We want to make sure that the information we are giving you is factual as best to our abilities. Like I said, if you do not uh follow or know of esme from kinky history please go do so she goes into like way more in depth about a lot more things than stony and i ever could even find like i said she has a fucking phd in this shit um but yeah our sources today are britannica we have a wonderful article from katia clayman 
Um, the History Daily, National Archives, and the National Gay History Project are a big part of our sources today. That is where we find our information out. So just so you know, we are citing sources. So, Sonny, what do you know about Benjamin Franklin? Do you know much? Uh, I know a little bit. I know some some more in-depth things than the average person, probably. Oh, yeah? What's your favorite uh, fun fact about old Benny Frank? Probably the Hellfire Club. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. think that's a pretty commonly... No. Yeah, and the fact that like I mean, that dude, that dude kind of looked like a troglodyte, but did nothing but sleep with French prostitutes and I mean, take yeah. long summers in France just to eat and drink and sleep with a lot of women. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, he was a he was he was a dog. He had that dog in him. <laughs> woof woof woof. <laughs> okay, so Benjamin Franklin, a founding father author, inventor, foreign diplomat, and sex fiend. Benjamin Franklin is one of the most respected figures in American history. Old Benny Frank, also called Ben Franklin, and his pseudonym was Richard Sanders. Saunders. Saunders. Saunders is a U in it. Saunders was born January 17th of 1706 in Boston, Massachusetts. Massachusetts? Massachusetts. Massachusetts. <laughs> he was an American printer and publisher, author, inventor, and scientist, and also, like I said, diplomat. Not just an American diplomat, but a foreign international diplomat. One of the foremost of the founding fathers, Franklin helped draft the Declaration of Independence and was one of its signers. He represented the United States and France during the American Revolution and was a delegate to the Constitutional Convention. All of this stuff may sound familiar if, you know, you guys took, like, eighth grade history. <laughs> he made important contributions to science, especially in the understanding of electricity, and is remembered for his wit, wisdom, and elegance of his writing. Franklin was born the 10th son of 17 children. 17? 17. <laughs> 17 children. That's a lot of kids. In the fucking 1700s. Yeah, that's that's like enough to run your entire family's business. Imagine being a woman and pushing out 17 children. Naturally. Rem remember that. Natural birth. That's 17 like times. Literally a kid every year. Pretty much, she was. That's enough. Like, that's enough kids. Like, if you have them one after the the next, to where that first one, by the time you've had that like sixteenth one, that child is already eighteen. That is breastfeeding for seventeen years straight. That is having. Oh no, like babies. twenty years straight. Think about that. That is like 20 that years is straight. having babies for like at least twenty years straight. Okay, buggers. Jesus Christ! Literally, holy shit! Seventeen kids. That's insane and which where where did he fall in that order the 10th 10th so that's like being the middle child that's insane yeah out of 17 in 1700s how do you i'm more surprised that that many of them survived but not that's what i'm saying we don't know that but oh, yeah. it was, he was the 10th out of 17 so like some of them could have died but like that's a lot of children even just to give birth to yeah that's that crazy really he learned to read very early and had one year in grammar school and another under a private teacher. 
but his formal education ended at age 10. Nice. So insane. (laughs) Nice. At 12, he was an apprentice under his brother, James, who was a printer between 1718 and 1723. Basically a mastery of printer's trade, which is also, at this time too, a pretty good job. Because this is still in the early ages of printing, like the printing press and everything, right? Yeah, this is right before the first in, or the first industrial revolution yes so like the printing press was pretty new i mean like it had been around for a little bit but 1700s it's definitely like less than 100 years old so yeah. printing at mass was still pretty new in the same period he read tirelessly and taught himself to write effectively all at the age of 12 mind you in 1721 james franklin founded a weekly newspaper the new england courant to which readers were invited to contribute. Benjamin, now 16, read and perhaps set in type these contributions and decided that he could do as well himself. Advice to a friend on choosing a mistress is a letter by Benjamin Franklin dated June 25th, 1745, in which Franklin counsels a young man about channeling sexual urges. This was technically an advice column written for him by a wide variety of people. He took his job very seriously. The text begins by advising a young man that a cure for his sexual urges is unknown and the proper solution is to take a wife. Then, expressing doubts that the intended reader will actually marry, Franklin names several advantages of marriage. As supplementary advice, in case the recipient rejects all previous arguments, Franklin lists eight reasons why an older mistress is preferable to a young one. Advantages included better conversation, less risk of unwanted pregnancy, and a greater prudence in conducting an intriguing mind, I guess. And this kind of falls into... Benny Frank talking about how he enjoys older women. So this already tells us that he has a a kink for older women, for sure. And mind you, this was like, he's still only like 17. Yeah, 17 at this time. Like he's still, he's still relatively young whenever he's already starting to discover. When you think about it, 17 17 in the 1700s is like, you're 27. (laughs) <laughs> yeah exactly it was it was a lot i mean you're already considered a man at like yeah. 13 yeah you're then. supposed to be like having kids and a wife and a bunch of other things and yeah yeah so i mean speaking on that note um when we start looking at his at his younger years you start to kind of see a little bit more of how he was i guess like budding sexually in a sense is a, i guess a good term for it yeah um So any examination of Benjamin Franklin's affairs start in his youth. At age 14 in 1720, he was a curious and hormonal teenager who was intrigued by the doxies and ramblings lining the streets of Boston. And if you guys don't know what doxies are, it's kind of another word for like girls of the night or and like ramblers were technically... uh, people that would gamble or travel and drink heavily it was just kind of like the the nightlife of of boston and well, yeah the ram i'm a rambling man <laughs> <laughs> 
When he was 17, Franklin moved to Philadelphia, where he began his printing business and started his courtship of the 15-year-old Deborah Reed, the woman he would later marry. But by 1724, Franklin was off to London, and Deborah became an afterthought as he spent his evenings in the beds of countless women of ill repute. Hey, yo! The women of the night, if you will. He returned to Philadelphia two years later and eventually married Deborah in a common law ceremony in 1730. So you have to think about this. That's like... For six years. From, from, <laughs> yeah, for like six years, he had been on and off dating this girl in Philadelphia. Oh, not on and off dating. He was dating. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, he was, he was essentially already married to her, but he was going off to London and just like sleeping with anyone that would let him. Um, and this would put him like 23? No, not, not then, because like he was 17 when he got there in Philadelphia. And then six years later, before he got married, he'd be like 23. He's yeah, yeah. having he's fucking and having a good time in his early twenties. All right. Yeah, and mind you, he's when he's seventeen, he's trying to date a fifteen-year-old, which is back in that time that's completely normal. You know, normal, and I mean, it still is normal. Seventeen, fifteen—that's normal ages. Anyway, so there, you know, and at, back then, mind you, that's he's already living on his own. Probably yep. he's doing all this. He started his own business. He's already, for most intent and purposes, a adult at this yes. time period. And he goes off to Phil- er, he leaves Philadelphia, goes overseas, and starts sleeping with a bunch of women while he's still with this other person. And then he comes back and he's like, "Oh yeah, and we're married now," <laughs> because he just got common law married. He didn't have like an actual big grandiose marriage. There was no courtship really. It was just like, "Hey, we're married now," and that's you know what it ultimately boils down to. And the vows of marriage did nothing to stop him. Mind you, Not so at he all. he gets no. married and he still just basically stays exactly what he was doing, except now he's contractually married. <laughs> so at this time too, usually when you get married, what do you, what do you start doing? You usually start popping little shitlings popping out, popping kids out, which brings up to the next topic of Franklin's kids. One of Franklin's illegitimate children is well accounted for. In 1731, a year into Franklin's marriage with Deborah Reed. He had a son with one of his mistresses. Remember, mistresses is plural. This dude was banging everybody. Oh, he had like six (laughs) side pieces. Some historians believe the mother of the child was a woman named Barbara, a maid in Franklin's house. Deborah accepted the child, William Franklin, into her home and raised him as her stepson. William eventually grew up to be a political figure in his own right and become the governor of New Jersey. Fun fact. So Deborah and Franklin also had two children of, the own, of their own. A son who passed, out, passed away at the age of five due to smallpox, fairly common, and a daughter named Sally who lived into her 60s. Some historians, like Thomas A. Foster, the author of Sex and the Founding Fathers, The American Quest for a Relatable Past, think that Franklin may have fathered 15 illegitimate children in his lifetime. However, however, the historians can't confirm any other details about his potential offspring. Fifteen kids is what he can kind of gather, which I think is, I mean, he had he was ten out of seventeen of his family. So, and him spending all that time fucking, and there's not really contraception at this time either. I mean, there was, but we're talking about like the lambskin, yeah. Yeah, you're like using intestines and stuff like that, but even then, 
that much sex at that time in history will oh. give you 15 children. <laughs> It'll give you 15 children and probably like 37 diseases. <laughs> that part, that part, that part. I mean, they have chronic syphilis in a lot of these families because of this. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So him doing all this fucking, having 15 kids, where is he doing majority of this fucking? Well, that's where we get to what I think is my favorite little weird bit of knowledge on Benny Frank is uh, the Hellfire Club. So basically, Franklin spent nearly two decades living in Europe performing diplomatic work on behalf of the new nation. But it wasn't all business. Benjamin Franklin loved lots of things and might have belonged to a sex club. That's what they say, and I choose to believe that it's true because 100%. it just makes so, too much sense knowing the guy. It's not even that, but it's in so many, it's documented in so many writings and poems and circumstances. A lot of the people were a part of a Hellfire Club. Uh, but Benjamin Franklin, 100%, I would say was because of the evidence in most of writings that play along with it. While Ben Franklin was in London from 1757 to 1775, some historians believe he was a member of the Medmenham Monks, also known as the Hellfire Club. Bum, bum, bum. This was a group of libertine men who were known for their perverse sexual proclivities and their re rejection of religious constraints. There were orgies, threesomes, same-sex encounters, as well as copious amounts of drinking, lavish banquets, and plays and skits that mocked Christianity. While his actual membership cannot be confirmed or denied, historians point out Franklin had close friendship with some of the club's most notorious members, including its founder, Francis Dashwood. So you're telling me that somebody who loved sex was really into orgies. That was something that was also like really well known about Benjamin Franklin is that he loved a good orgy. Oh yeah, he he loved sex parties and like that was yeah, very much known throughout I guess the the entire new country. Three threesomes were also <laughs> Threesomes were also very orgies were orgies were very commonplace too. Yes, but threesomes were like threesomes were very well known with him, but he was known for a good orgy, which I think is hilarious. Yeah, considering um, what he looked like. <laughs> well, what and not even that, but just like what he did, how high you know, U.S. history puts him on a standard. You know what I mean? Like, all of the shit that he did as a giant diplomat to be like, yeah, I like a good orgy. Let's go fuck yeah. with Benny Frank. You know what I mean? Yeah. I heard he, he helped with electricity. <laughs> well, yeah, and it's funny because, like, we look at that nowadays versus what it was looked at back then. Like, obviously, some people were like, oh, that's perverse, blah, blah, blah. But we're talking about, like, royal families and stuff like the royal courts like that was like yeah, very we'll, commonplace we'll, we'll get into that but i find it so hilarious that for someone who's very well known for fucking very well known for like having or wanting to participate in orgies and just being you know a sexually sexual liberated person him to also be like good friends with most people in the hellfire club and then people be like oh he's not in that Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Which the whole orgies and, and threesomes brings us to our next uh, fun fact of it. Um, it was even said that he also enjoyed the company of mother and daughter. In 1757, Franklin rented a room in London, or in a technically like a London apartment building, because most of these brothels 
in London weren't just like a house. They were mainly like hundreds of rooms. Yeah. Which was also crazy. That's a whole nother topic for itself. Um, but it was run by a widow named Margaret Stevenson who lived with her 18-year-old daughter, Peggy. During his 15-year residency, he indulged in the charms of both mother and daughter and even remained in contact with them after he moved back to the States. In his final years of life, Peggy moved to Philadelphia to take care of him. That's weird. Yeah, right? <laughs> what a right. weird, weird yeah. thing to do. He must have had a he must have been really good at sex or had a big dick. <laughs> One of the two. <laughs> or just knew how to eat that pussy. Pussy. <laughs> colonial colonial cunnilingus just sounds gross. Woo! Woo. <laughs> Franklin publicly promoted a life of upstanding morality and virtues, as seen in his Poor Richard's Almanac. In his autobiography, he described 13 virtues every decent man should live by, noting that men should rarely use venery, but for health or offspring, never to dullness, weakness, or the injury of your own or another's peace or reputation. Privately, he allegedly did no such thing. <laughs> okay. Yeah, just being a hypocrite. That makes sense. <laughs> When Franklin first moved to London in 1724, he was a regular at the city's parlors. This was a habit that he kept up until much later years of his life. At night, he would always be seen in a pub with the company of women. Not a woman. Women. women. Multiple women. Multiple women. <laughs> As an intelligent, well-spoken and written man, Franklin penned hundreds of love letters to his current and previous lovers, many of which have survived, giving historians a glimpse into the often dirty mind of the great American founding father. His letters contain reminiscence of past encounters, details of Franklin's plans for future encounters, and naughty poems and verses. God damn. He yeah, he was, he was about it. He was, he was <laughs> sexting before phones were even invented. Yeah. Benjamin Franklin wrote of pussy, ass, and even farting. He had a spectrum of fetishes. <laughs> oh my Dude, god. I had to. <laughs> that, that's why you wanted me to change the order. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he wrote a farting. Yeah. He had a... Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Parts make you laugh. <laughs> he had a spectrum of fetishes depending on the woman. Given his habit of frequent cat houses and writing dirty notes to young women, Franklin's sexual habits were likely more adventurous than his peers. Hey, yo! In 1907, one of Franklin's biographers, Albert Henry Smith, ran with his ran with this notion while describing the founding father. It is no use blinking the fact that Franklin's animal instincts and passions were strong and rank, that they led him to the commission of deplorable errata in his life, and that the taint of an irredeemably vulgarity is upon much of this man, he wrote. So basically, not only were all of his peers well aware of it, even just by reading his biography and people that were also doing much research on Benjamin Franklin, like I said, in the early 1900s, knew that he was 
fucking. Oh yeah, he was he was clowning. That man clowned around and got down. <laughs> so as Franklin grew older, his libido never stopped. Never stopped. It just kept going and going. He was hornier than ever. Old Bryn, Ben Frank liked younger women too. So earlier we talked about how he when he was younger, he appreciated the older women. Now that he's getting older, he's liking the younger women. Which I yes. would say is how most majority of men go that are, you know, in their, you know, as they grow older, I guess. In 1754, when he was 48, Franklin was smitten with a young lady named Catherine Ray, who was less than half his age. He was caught many times with women that were 20 years younger than him. He said that they were ripe and full of sweet juices. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> There was another incident in London in 1767 where Franklin's friend, Charles Wilson Peel, went to visit Franklin's apartment. He opened the door and saw the 61-year-old Franklin kissing and fondling a young girl in her 20s who was sitting on his lap. There was even a little quip about Franklin's taste for young women as he aged. Franklin, though plagued with fumbling age, needs nothing to excite him but is too ready to engage when younger arms invite him. Basically just saying, like, he he would basically, like... Homie tried to fuck everything. That, and he was, like, basically, like, coming before, you know, they even got any further because he's just getting old. It was, you know, a joke on it. On mm -hmm. it. <laughs> Franklin was already 70 years old when he took a diplomatic post in Paris in 1776, where he was, by all accounts, the toast of the town. He soon embarked on several affairs with married society women. His image as a democratic folk genius from the wilderness of America preceded him, and he explored it brilliantly for the American cause. <laughs> His face appeared everywhere on medallions, on snuff boxes, on candy boxes, in rings and statues and prints. Women even did their hair a la Franklin. <laughs> <laughs> He was slanging dick. <laughs> Franklin played his role to perfection. He was even invited to the court of Versailles, which was the most formal and elaborate court in all of Europe at the time. The French aristocracy absolutely loved him. And gee, I wonder why. Because everyone knows that the crazy sexual acts that go around in royal courts. So, like, duh. I couldn't imagine what he was doing in Versailles court. Right. Because they were crazy. That's I'm sure that that'll, that might be a whole episode we do on sexual demons of history is like King Louis. Yeah, that could the, be the one. one who the one who like built Versailles and how his fetishes were fucking crazy. And like yeah. that, like the French court were the French were also very uh, more sexually liberated than most of America and everything. Like they didn't really follow. Yeah, they the were whole... very open with it. And also, like, remember, like, Benny Frank was a, Qu a Quaker. So, like, there wasn't this whole, like, Protestant, Quaker, super Christian aspects really much in French society at this time. So, like, it wasn't frowned upon to have orgies and threesomes and love farting and, you know, shit. <laughs> so I couldn't I couldn't imagine the fact that they welcomed him with open arms. He was like, who wants to fuck? And they were like, yeah. <laughs> so not only did old Benny Frank indulge himself in many sect sex acts, whether it was, you know, 
colonial cunnilingus, as Stoney put it. <laughs> yeah, colonial cunnilingus. And not only was he impressing so many people in court, and, you know, he was an international dick slinger, when you think about it. He was the, he was the first uh, Deuce Bigelow. <laughs> well, no, he wasn't getting paid to fuck people, you know. That's true. He was not a prostitute, but he, he was just—he was just a international dick slanger. A, a, international dick slanger. A slanging dick. So, mind you, he's in the French court, and he's already like well into—I would say like sixties and seventies at this point in his life. Still giving it the good old college try, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So beset with pain of gout and kidney stones and surrounded by spies and sometimes his very clumsy fellow commissioners, Franklin nonetheless succeeded marvelous, marvelously. He first secured military and diplomatic alliances with France in 1778 and then played a crucial role in bringing about the final peace treaty with Britain in 1783, also known as Peace of Paris. No wonder the eight years in France were the happiest of Franklin's life. He was doing what he yearned to do most, shaping events at a, on a world stage and also shaping pussies. Yeah. <laughs> at this point in 1784, he resumed work on his autobiography, writing the second part of it, which presumes the human control over one's life. He's like I said, he's into his 60s and 70s at this point. Well into his 70s. Yeah, he's, he was in his like in 70s in, at this point. In 1890? 1784. 1780. 1890. 1890. Yeah. <laughs> he, he would yeah, be that's, 100. He'd be like 200. 200. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Franklin, <laughs> Franklin was also known as the great communicator among the major players in the colonial era. His Joe de Vere and his sense of humor integrated him with everyone, which is why he became the primary diplomat from the colonies uh, and basically the ambassador to French and Prussian courts. Um, and also a U.S. minister to both France and Sweden. In each capacity, he negotiated treaties and open communications between supporters in Europe and the colonies. It was in his role as ambassador to France that Franklin became the nation's first gay-friendly ambassador. Let's put that in there again. He was an ambassador to France and became the first gay-friendly ambassador, helping a known homosexual escape persecu persecution and became a pivotal figure in the American Revolution. We stand an ally. A hoardy ally, but nonetheless an ally. But an ally nonetheless. Especially yeah. in the 1700s. Insane. It wasn't solely as ambassador that Franklin made gay-friendly history in early America. In his role as America's printer extraordinaire, Franklin had been responsible for facilitating and printing of the first male same-sex love story in North America. That, <laughs> that, that deserves some claps. And he did this through his friendship with and mentoring a French printer, Flair Mesplet. In 1776, Mesplet were, were basically friendships with Franklin bolstered his revolutionary uh, as a printer. So these two like became friends and bonded over knowledge of writing and printing. That was like all Franklin knew. That was what he was good for. And this uh, and Miss Plett was learning and becoming this for France, basically. 
He was a bookseller, a writer, and published a play. The play details the homoerotic relationship between Jonathan and David and the Old Testament, a depiction still considered controversial today, 235 years later, after Mesplet's publication. Uh, that is a crazy play to write about, especially at that time, but he was French, so it also yeah. makes sense. You know what I mean? Like, it wasn't as taboo. It was tab- taboo in, like, Americas. And the like religious. Well, I mean, like it'd be in the religious places. Yeah, yeah. France was not a stretch because they were very open about everything. Yeah. In 1785, he founded the Montreal Gazette, now the oldest continuing newspaper in Canada. For LGBT historians, however, Miss Plett is famous for printing the first book in Montreal, which was also the first homoerotic publication in North America. One presumes Franklin's own expansive sexual appetite allowed him not just tolerance, but empathy when regarding to von Steuben and also kept him from suggesting to Miss Platt that homoerotic plays might not be the very first thing to publish in his new Canadian home. So not only was he being a good friend at this point, too, he was being like, write what you want to write about. Do what you want to do. You know, write it, do it. And I think that's that's uh, in any good ally. That's good is not questioning the person's artistic abilities of it, you know. And this was also at the time where like Franklin was new to this new to Canada and he was already under suspicion for his like political views. Franklin's life was mesmerizingly rich and bread full of contributions to the America, which is like incalculable how much he did for what is now modern day USA, you know? And added to that, now he can be his own significant contributions to the LGBT history in North America, which is huge, especially in this time and age, seeing that even in the 1700s, right when America first started, he was on the forefront of acceptance. Probably because he probably did indulge in, you know, some Eiffel Towering, if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was, you know. Oh, my God. I'm taking, I'm taking those away from you. Use them in cringy times. That's the whole point. <laughs> but, yeah, I think it's I think it's very important for everyone to know, too, also, like, he was, he was a very, uh, I'm not going to say great ally, but he did allow people to be who they wanted, and he didn't care if people you know, indulged in the same sex activities. It didn't, he wasn't so against it. And he was the founding father of the United States. And I wish a lot of these modern day politicians would uh, mind their own business. You know. (laughs) Okay. So off of that tangent. In 1785, Franklin reluctantly had to come to America. In 1785, Franklin reluctantly had to come to America to die, even though all of his friends were in France. Although he feared he would be a stranger in his own country, he now knew that his destiny was linked to America. In 1790, as his last days approached, I'm sure Franklin was still pleasing women and fulfilling his every desire. Benjamin Franklin died on April 17, 1790, when he was 84 years old. And still fucking. Yeah, just think about that. 84 in the 1700s. That dude that's, that's, outlived that's so many people. I was like, that's a really long life, to be honest. Especially with the life Diseases, that he did live. Fucking all the time, yeah. Drinking, eating, like he was like 
Yeah. I think there, there's a lot of things that are like, yeah, he was a glutton. He definitely loved to eat. He loved uh, to Yeah, and he party. loved snuff, and snuff was notorious yep. for killing Yeah, people. that gives you cancer. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy how he survived that long. Yeah. Especially, like I said, with not catching, like, like I said, not catching any STDs that could kill him. The cause of his death was empemia, brought on by attacks of pleurisy, which he had suffered earlier in his life. And then he suffered these around, uh, I think, like, before age 10, like, before he stopped and started doing the printing press. He he was already, so that wasn't, he wasn't dying because of stuff he got in his life. He died because of something he already had. Yeah. You know, like a chronic condition. But him even yeah. leaving, living to his 84 with pleurisy in 17, fucking God. <laughs> yeah. So, and that kind of goes without saying that Mr. Franklin lived quite an adventurous life, indulging in all of life's pleasures. Hey, yo. Um, I found it fascinating. Something I learned today. Um, while doing the research and while we talk about this is the fact that I knew that he was someone who traveled quite a bit because he was doing it for like, you know, America's benefit. Obviously, he did his job correctly. Yeah, he did it for diplomacy. I didn't know that he was very well entangled with the court of Versailles. Yeah, he was entangled with every court in it throughout Europe. Yes, but I also like find England. that <laughs> I also find that the most fascinating because like I said, yeah. they were the like the it crowd. Yeah, and that's they, also like, why it all the crazy shit. Like it's, the, it's the relationship cool. that he had in France fostered a relationship throughout the actual colonies and is also one of the reasons why the French helped us win the Revolutionary War. Yeah. And I guess we could think Oh, Benny Frank and his dick for yeah, getting America where it is today. He played, he played a big today. role in that, in that uh, alliance that was formed. And it's you kind know, of crazy to think about that same person and also is the dude who likes fart porn. Yeah, just round of applause, everybody, <laughs> for Benny Frank's uh, contribution, <laughs> contribution to America's by fucking one milf and daughter at a time. but yeah that's something i learned today is like i knew he was involved in the courts but i didn't know he was involved he was involved in like this particular court and then that this particular court was like obsessed with him (laughs) (laughs) like they loved him and i think that's so well but yeah that'll definitely be that versailles i think will be definitely a future episode of sexual teens in history i'll be sure to write that down um but i had fun with this episode i hope you guys you guys can take your, your thinking caps off now. You don't got to keep them on. You can go smooth brain from yep, now on. You can come back to the, <laughs> to the normal side. <laughs> I hope you guys learned something today. I think this was fun. I'm really going to enjoy this series. They don't always have to be like super long videos or really in-depth, but we wanted to give yeah. you guys a little little fun facts of like, you know, like I said, important people in history and things of that. So I hope you guys enjoyed the first episode of our Sexual Deviants of History series. For sure, we'll be doing Versailles, or at least King Louis, or you know, the important people in the the that court for sure, because they were very crazy when it comes to their sexual uh, needs. <laughs> These research ones are also some of my favorite podcasts we record because we get mm-hmm. to actually expound on some in-depth topics sometimes. you are a history nerd, so this yeah. is why we also do research topics because Stoney is such a history nerd that he loves. Reading about it, learning about it, but also adding your own touch to it too. Your yep. your own little 
little sprinkles of extra knowledge that I didn't include or I knew you would say it talk about. So I made sure not to, you know? Right. Yeah. I get you. But yeah, I enjoy them. I enjoy, like I said, we, I take the time to write out scripts for us and, you know, make sure all the facts are somewhat correct in a sense of where we get our information from. Um, so yeah, I, I enjoy the research topics. Uh, what would you like this week's uh, secret passcode to be? Stoney? Um, I don't know. Uh, what is Biddy Frank on? Well, he's on the hundred, which I don't know if there's a hundred. I was going to say nope. use the key for the electricity. Ooh, the key. That's a good yeah. one. That's a good one. Drop down the key emoji if you are listening in the comments or send it to us privately. If you're not a public person, that's fine, too. It lets us know that you've listened all the way through. And in the future, when we drop our merch, it'll be the secret codes. Um, kind of like a little, little scavenger hunt, in a sense, to get some discounts for things. Um, but, yeah, I had fun in this episode. I hope you guys enjoyed another episode of the Ramblin' Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Sony, where can we find you? The good people can find me everywhere at Stony Robbins or Stony Robbins underscore. Feel free to find me. What about you, Conwith? You guys can find me at the ye old house of... No, I'm just kidding. Stop it. <laughs> you guys can find me at ConwayTitty.com. That is ConwayTitty.com. Um, Stony and I stream quite often. Come watch us play some games on Twitch. All my other stuff is linked there as well. If you feel spicy like old Benny Frank, I got your needs handled. <laughs> oh, okay. En yeah, cringe. Enough of me. Uh, we'll see you guys on the next episode. Have a good rest of your day. Stay hydrated. Get some sleep. And we'll see you later. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.